0: Welcome to another wonderful episode of the American Idiot Podcast with your host, the one, the only, the rebellious, the rebel-rousing, the American Idiot. Hey guys, and welcome back to another action-packed episode of the American Idiot Podcast with the rebel-rousing, rebellious, me, the American Idiot. Thank you for listening in again. Thank you guys for coming back to listen. I'm so honored that you guys decided to keep listening to me because I know I'm boring. I know that the way I sound is really, really bad. I'm hoping to fix that when I get semi and get our <coughs> tax return, which should be hopefully tomorrow. But so today I want to actually step away from politics. I'm still going to basically, basically – it's still politics. I just wanted to look at something different. Uh, if you have, and before I get into that, if you have anything you want to talk about, if you have anything important, email me at theamericanidiotp at com. Give me critiques, give me stuff to talk about, send me questions. But now that I got that out of the way, I wanted to talk about television. I wanted to talk about television and being woke are basically becoming woke. And I'm going to start it off by this. I want you to think back, if you're old enough, to the 90s and to Big Daddy with Adam Sandler. Now, back then, being woke, being all about, uh, being all about black, being all about LGBT, was not as important as it is today, obviously. But it was still there. You can think of, uh, very early on in the movie, they show, uh, Adam Sandler's character, his two friends that are gay, and they have a gay kiss. And you know, that's all well and good. I mean, basically, gay, being gay, was around back then. So they were, as I like to say, they were representing the gay community. But the thing I have to ask is why did you have to have an on-scene gay kiss? Why couldn't you just show them holding hands? Why couldn't you just let it be known that they were gay. And, you know, that gets into it. And I want to now take you to 2009. In 2009, basically, you could say, started. Uh, I started watching CW Network. I wasn't watching CW at the time because um, basically I hadn't found out about it yet. But later on in 2012, I found The Vampire Diaries, which, I mean, CW probably doesn't agree with me uh obviously that is why they only have uh they only keep the five most recent episodes of the uh third or the second spin-off uh from the vampire diaries why they only have five episodes but to me that is basically what made CW I don't know if that's true I didn't look into it but that to me that what that's what was CW was the vampire diaries it started back in 2009. And of course, it was focused on vampires, vampires going to high school. It focused on, basically, high school kids. What high school kids do. Drinking, going to uh, going to parties, going to school, playing football, playing sports, hanging out at school, hanging out after school. And so, the first season... All the way up to the fifth season, that I recall, they did not have a single homosexual character. In comes season six, where they basically bring in the two char- the two main characters, uh, Damon and Stefan Salvatore, they bring in their mother that had left them. And she basically met this other vampire named, I think, Julian or Julius, and they found other... Vampires, that they were basically witches that had had powers and then basically got bit by a vampire. And so that is when they bring in their first homosexual couple. They bring in their first homosexual couple. is in season six. So, seasons one through five, they basically had heterosexual couples. Now, I mean, of course, the heterosexual couples had sex, they acted like teens, they kissed, they got naked in front of each other, they came out of the shower in front of each other, basically acting like they're married couples when they're not, but it wasn't until Season 6, which would have been, what I believe, episode, or Season 8, what, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So Season 8 came out... In 17. So. Back in 2015. Is when they had their first homosexual couple. Up until then it had not been a big deal for them to have it. So then we go to. The originals. You go to the originals. Which was the first spinoff. That focused on the Michelson family. Which was. The main characters were Elijah. Uh, Klaus. Or Nik- Niklaus and uh, Rebecca Michelson. Now again, again, this started, this was the third season after Vampire Diaries, so 10, 11, 12. So in 2012, they started the originals. And it wasn't until the fourth season of that that they brought in the unknown of do- uh, sister, Freya, who then gets into a homosexual relationship with a werewolf who she was draining venom from. So, because it ran for five seasons, it wasn't until the, okay, I'll say third season or fourth season of the originals that they had a homosexual couple. And then this couple went on to get married in, I believe, the last season. So, third or fourth season if it started in 2012, the third season would have been 2015, the fourth season would have been 2016. Okay? Now I want you to focus on that. I want you to focus on that. In 2018, after the at the after the final uh season or after the fi- at, at the end of the final season of the Originals, they brought out Legacies, which has to do with Klaus's daughter, Hope Michelson, who is the only tribrid which means she's a werewolf, she's a werewolf, she's a vampire, and she's a witch. Okay, now this is this is what I want to focus on. This came out in 2018. Okay? Do you think that they followed the same setup that they had for the Vampire Diaries and the Originals? If you said yes, then obviously you don't watch TV and you don't watch what's been going on because they didn't. At the very outset on in the very first episode of Legacies they had a the they had one of the main characters that was bisexual who had been who had just recently broken up with her lesbian ex and throughout the season they would basically have a relationship and then at the end, basically by episode six or seven, by episode seven, they basically had a lesbian kiss. This is all in the first season, okay? So she leaves at the end of the first season, and then basically they do not have another. Uh, they don't have an. They don't have anything else, heterosexual or homosexual. So they mainly focus on Hope, who is the main character, who is a lady, the girl that plays Hope Michelson has said that if her character called for being basically fluid, meaning basically being bisexual or dating guys and girls, that she would go for it. She's mainly been heterosexual, but they've already, uh, the bisexual character, they'd already made it known that she had been attracted to the main character. Now, if you've watched Legacies, you're going to have an easier time understanding this, and you'll know who I'm talking about. That's why I'm not specifically saying names. But so, then come to Season 2. Season 2 was last year, um, oh, yeah, so actually Season 1 came out in 2019. Season 2 came out last year got cut short because of COVID. And now they're working on Season 3. so, 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 season two. The bisexual, who had been, who had basically had a make-out session with her ex-lesbian girlfriend in season one, is now dating a guy. Why, I said she's bi. She had been attracted to him. She had been attracted to his friend. They end up dating. And then, basically, at some point... They get put into uh, a prison a prison world. You'd have to watch it to understand that completely. But so, while they're there, they find a another... Well, I don't know if she... They haven't said if she's exactly bi or lesbian. I think she's leaning towards lesbian. But they have another lesbian character that comes in that is basically kind of a love interest for the bi main character. The only problem here is that although she's been in this prison world, and she's technically not aged today, she's she's supposed to be 16. So in that aspect, she's supposed to be 16, but they've been there for, I think, at least, at the least three years. So now basically it's that you have a relationship between an 18-year-old and a... or they're hinting at a relationship between an eighteen year old and a sixteen year old. Which we all know basically that's a big no no. But so that that that's the point I wanted to hit at. Is that throughout the years they have been pushing more and more and more uh LGBTQ characters. And now I I didn't bring up anything about it, but Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew and is in its second season. It started last year Or basically, it started 2018, and it ended kind of early 2020, so it didn't get as drastically affected by the COVID lockdowns. But so, they started off, and right off the bat, they already have a... uh, a, basically a bi character. She is basically dating a lesbian, but... As of recently, in season two for it, her husband has come to find her. So she's bi. So there's another bi character. You come to Roswell, New Mexico, which is a remake, which we'll talk about. So I'll talk about it there. But so they're pushing more and more and more LGBTQ characters. And this is why I wanted to talk about this. I mean, I love CW, but back when uh, Roswell, New Mexico first started up, after the third episode... I literally almost quit the show because I got tired of them pushing pushing their leftist agenda and basically attacking Trump for wanting to build the wall. But so the first article I want to bring up is from CNN, there are more LGBTQ characters on television than ever before. And I mean it should, in I mean I have I don't have an, entirely a problem with that, but the problem I have is why are they doing it? Why are they pushing so many LGBTQ characters? So a record-breaking number of LGBTQ characters will appear on broadcast television by the time this year is over. And this is from November 16, 2019. So this is from 2019. A total 10.2% of regular characters in the 2019-2020 broadcast television season are reported to be LGBTQ, according to GLAAD's, where we are on TV report. That's up from 8.8% the prior season. And I can tell you basically how this happened. And it'll bring this up later, but... You can look at CW. So 2019... You had... Legacy Start. First season, they had basically a bi and a lesbian character. There are are obviously going to be others... Or there probably were others but they haven't built them out that way yet. And then you had them start to remake, I believe it was in 19, Charmed, where one of the sisters is lesbian or bi, whereas none of them had been lesbian or bi in the original series, which went from 96 to 2006. So before the big LGBTQ push hit, the last, the latest telemarks The highest number of LGBTQ character broadcast televisions in the 24 years GLAAD has been tracking the information. So this is the highest that it's been in 24 years. (coughs) In addition to broadcast, the report also looked at the LGBTQ representation on cable and streaming shows. Finding important developments on all three platforms. Shows like Pose, The L Word, Generation Q... And Batwoman emerged as strong examples of LGBTQ representation this season, as well as 911, Lone Star, Sex Education, and Dear White People. So those are some other lists, some other shows that they bring up that are pushing the LGBTQ agenda. But why are they pushing it? Why is it so important to have so many LGBTQ people? Here is why it matters. TV directly impacts how we perceive our own culture and identities. Glad says. That's why it's especially important to feature a diverse and realistic lineup of LGBTQ stories and characters. So they come out and they say it. It impacts how we perceive our own culture and identities. So to Glad, to the LGBTQ community, pushing LGBTQ on us is going to change how we perceive our own culture and identities. As of 2017, Gallup, which basically Gallup poll, estimates 4.5% of Americans identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. So in 2017, it was 4.5%. So, just three years ago, there were 45 ...percent of people that identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and, or transgender. And then this number does not include those who identify as queer. Queer is gay. Gay is queer. They used to be called queer, and they changed the name because of what the word gay actually means. But let's continue. It is not enough just to have an LGBTQ character present to win an LGBTQ audience's attention says Sarah Kate Ellis, president and CEO of GLAAD. There needs to be nuance and depth to their story, and the slate of characters should reflect the full diversity of our community. So it's not just basically helping, it's not going to help change how we see our culture and our identities, but it's also because they have to reflect the diversity of the LGBTQ community. But are they as focused on that as they are on focusing on the cisgendered people, the cisgendered community, the ones that they are in heterosexual relationships, that they're about that they're about traditional marriage. Are they as focused on that? An increase in racial diversity in cable and broadcast. The racial diversity of LGBTQ characters on broadcast and cable saw a significant increase this year as well. Of the 120 LGBTQ broadcast characters, 62, that's 52%, are people of color. Similarly, 48% of recurring LGBTQ characters on cable are people of color, a 2% increase from last year. Okay. I mean, that's great. Yeah, they need to... They basically need to have an equal amount of black people to white people. I agree with that. Yeah, they should represent LGBTQ people, because as much as I hate it, the LGBTQ community and their agenda are not going away anytime soon. But that does not mean that you need to sit here and have 120 of them. And I know those are probably through, like, maybe anywhere in between, like, 80 and 100 or 100 and 120 shows. It's probably less than that. But still, you do not need to have that many people to push the LGBTQ community. You could find one good couple and use them. Just like most of them, they will have one good couple. Like in Legacies, it's... uh. Hope Michelson and Landon Kirby. They are the main couple there. They have had some other couples. They have had some others to basically help uh, change the outlook of a certain character. Or basically to, uh, because it's part of that character's, uh, basically that character's personality. But they mainly only have one major couple. Like for instance in Vampire Diaries. At first, it was Elena and Stefan. And then it switched to Stefan, or to Elena and uh, Damon. And then they had, I mean, they had more there, yeah. They had others, because that was still when they were just basically showing relationships, because these are kids. So they went from Elena and Stefan, and then they went to uh, Stefan and Caroline. And then they had... Bonnie with Enzo. So they had different relationships. They showed different relationships. But the main focus was always on Stefan and Elena, and then Elena and Damon. The other ones were just background. Because it was building up that character's background. This is the second year in a row in which LGBTQ people of color have outnumbered white LGBTQ people on broadcast television, the report found. Now, why do you think that this is the second year in a row that they have had more colored LGBTQ people than they have white? It couldn't have to do with the fact of critical race theory and that they're trying to empower the black people, which we'll get on, we'll get, we'll talk to that, talk about that later as we talk about Batwoman. ABC and the CW led the broadcast networks in racial diversity with a little over 50% of their series regulars being people of color. So, again, that's great. I mean, Legacy, it has, basically, it had, it either has or it had three main characters that were different shades of black. So, one of them, uh, just in a couple of episodes back, he was put into a prison world so that he could stay alive. So, I don't know if he's going to ever come back. With CW, they can come back from there somehow, so he might still be part of it. I don't know. But so, they had three that they would focus on. And they had more, uh, basically, secondary characters who were black, who were colored. The streaming platforms continue to see a drop in diversity among LGBTQ characters year after year. The report found just 41% of the 153 LGBTQ characters are people of color making a 7 drop point drop from the previous year. Why do you think that basically streaming-only platforms might have dropped it down a bit? Could it have been because they felt some backlash from them having pushed it too hard, with people canceling, with people not watching it, and so they reworked it and they took some away so that they would keep their money coming in? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. But that's interesting. Transgender, lesbian, and HIV AIDS representation is up. Across broadcast cable and streaming platforms, these three groups have seen bumps in character character numbers, the report found. continued counted 38 regular and recurring transgender characters, including 12 trans men, 21 trans women, and 5 non-binary characters. Of the 38 characters, Glad found 31 are played by transgender actors. According to recent polls, less than one quarter of Americans Say they personally know someone who is transgender. So if less than one quarter of Americans say they personally know someone who is transgender, should you really be trying to push transgender so much? If you're trying to represent them, you're obviously over-representing them. If only one quarter of Americans say that they know someone who is actually trans. This means that what the majority of Americans know about the trans community comes from what they see in the news and entertainment media. Now, this isn't including that you had like, RuPaul's Drag Race and other shows that they literally, every single season, are focusing on drag queens. Stuff like that. That's on there. I don't know if that's counted in here. It probably is. I don't know. But still, you have an entire show that is solely focused
1: on drag
0: queen or on transgender society. So they are not just getting what they know from the news and entertainment media. This is why it is so important that Hollywood be inclusive of trans characters, which reflect the full diversity of the community, and that they tell a wide range of stories in the same way that story... That stories about cisgendered people are told, which, as I found out today as I looked it up, cisgender basically just means that you identify as the sex that you were born at birth. So I'm a cisgender male. Just two shows, Pose and the L Word Generation Q, account for more than a quarter of transgender characters across all platforms. This season, Glad counted nine HIV-positive characters, an increase of two characters from last year. Why are we so worried about having HIV-positive characters? Why are you wanting to push having HIV-positive characters? Are you trying to make it seem like having HIV is okay? Are you really trying to make it look like HIV is perfectly fine to have? That there's nothing wrong with it. It is a sexually transmitted disease. As far as I know, it is the only sexually transmitted disease. Okay, it's not the only. It is one of the worst sexually transmitted diseases that have that can cause death. Why are you so worried about having HIV positive characters? Why? Why? So that is an increase of 2 characters from last year. Several of these characters however are in a series that is being canceled or had a limited run, meaning that there will likely be a significant drop in the number next year. Why is it so important that you have all of these characters? We'll get to another we will get to another uh article that will bring that I'll bring that out with more the number of lesbian characters on cable and broadcast continues to increase annually. As well, Glad Reports 33% of broadcast and 33 or 30% of cable LGBTQ characters are lesbian, both jobs from the prior year. Asexual representation has been slashed. And notice that word representation There are no asexual characters expected to appear on current or upcoming primetime broadcast series. When Freeform's Shadowhunters was canceled, the number of asexual characters was essentially cut in half. Followed by the decision to retire Todd Chavez's character in Netflix, Netflix's Bojack Horseman, severely diminishing asexual representation. What do they mean by asexual representation? Well, you know, let me look this up real quick. Asexuality isn't celibacy or abstinence. Here is what it is and what is it what, is, what it isn't. Being asexual in a culture where sex permeates nearly everything can be challenging. Asexuality is a sexual orientation. For most adolescents and adults, feeling sexually attracted to another person, whether someone of the same sex, opposite sex, or outside of the gender binary, is a fact of life. But... Not everyone relates to that feeling. Enter asexuality. Asexuality is a sexual orientation which a person experiences little or no sexual attraction to another person and or no desire for sexual contact according to aces and arrows. So basically, if you're asexual, you have little or no sexual attraction to another person. Doesn't really makes sense, but okay. So let's go ahead and let's get back, now that we know what asexual means. And see, it's like I loved freeform, but what I really didn't get is who in there was an asexual character. Didn't really get that. Glad did not identify any new asexual characters expected to be added in the coming year. A few shows have arisen as champions of LGBTQ narratives. Netflix has emerged as the streaming service to hold the highest number of LGBTQ regular and recurring characters on their scripted original series with 121 characters. Its competitors, Hulu and Amazon, have 24 and eight LGBTQ characters, respectively. FX show Pose, which spotlights New York's underground ball culture in the 1980s, continues to be a strong point of representation. It features the only four HIV-positive characters on cable and has also played a significant role in increasing the amount of black and Latinx characters on TV. The upcoming series, The L Word, Generation Q, Related to air on Showtime in December is a modern revival of the original 2004-2009 to 2009 show. Its LGBTQ-packed cast play a large part in making Showtime the cable network to feature the biggest number of LGBTQ characters. The report found. The CW has introduced an exciting first with its new series, Batwoman, which features lesbian actor Ruby Rose playing Batwoman. The first lesbian superhero title character... In a network TV show, and you know that's great and all. And you know I loved Batwoman, the first sh- series, uh, the first uh, season of Batwoman. I'm watching season two, and I'm not as big a fan of it. And we'll get into <coughs> we'll get into that. But so there was that. The next one I want to bring up has to do with Vampire Diaries. Diversity gives hope, but shows like Vampire Diaries kills it. Time and time again, I hear people complaining about how others react to lack of representation in the media. They say that those who insist on every show or book being racially and sexually diverse are just being sensitive. Maybe that's the truth. Perhaps at times people do take the desire for representation too far, but most of the time they don't. Representation and diversity within different mediums, such as entertainment and literature, are pivotal to our society. So again, the whole reason to represent properly is to properly represent our society. But, if you have more heterosexual than homosexual, and more cisgendered than transgender, you don't need to have 121 or 100 and X amount of LGBTQ characters if they are drastically... Uh, outshining the heterosexual because you're not properly representing, representing our society. You are misrepresenting it as if we are all nothing but transgender and LGBTQ. What is good representation? To me, the person that wrote this, it is not enough to simply have a gay character or a person of color on a show for it to be deemed good representation. So first off, Just having a black person is not representing uh, the black community. Just like having a gay character is not enough to represent the gay community. How do they have to be represented? The writers have to treat the character with respect. They have to give them good plot lines that don't just keep them on the sidelines. These characters must be fully fledged, basically fledged out, and not remain as two-dimensional, meaning lacking in depth and failing to add anything to the plot. So, since this has to do with Vampire Diaries, let me bring up Bonnie Bennett. Bonnie Bennett is an excellent uh, person to bring up because the entire last season has a lot to do with her. Or with a person like her. So, in the last episode, basically, hell was created by this dude who was named Acadius back in Greek or Rome times because he was a very powerful witch that could read people's thoughts. And so, while he was being punished, he lets out this almighty, like, warlock scream that creates hell. And so, the last season of Vampire Diaries, has a lot to do with Bonnie Bennett because at the end of season of episode seven or ep- season seven she basically ki- Enzo gets killed, and from the grief that she feels, she creates an alternate dimension in which Enzo gets put in but so okay, actually, you know what let me just take that back she She's a black character that had been there throughout every season and that had played major and important parts in every single one of those seasons. I mean, like, a part of the first season was her figuring out she was a witch, figuring out her spells. A big part of season one was her and her mother having to unlock and open the chamber that Catherine and the other vampires from, like, the 1800s were locked in. How is that not important? How is that not a sideline? A great example of a failure at representation is Bonnie Bennett from the show The Vampire Diaries produced by the CW Network. This show butchered Bonnie's character tremendously. She was given secondary love interests who were often unimportant to the plot. If they were unimportant to the plot, they wouldn't have been there. Like, in a perfect example, uh, Bonnie is dating Enzo in uh, season 8 and the sirens that come out of a crazy crazy place basically take over Enzo and Damon are used and are using them to do their bidding and a lot of season 8 is getting is destroying these two sirens because they're the bad people and because they have a lot to do with hell so she her Her boyfriend, if I remember correctly, is one of the people that the bad guys are using to get what they want. He is a major part of the plot for season 8. He was a major part of the plot for seasons 6 or 6 and 7 are like 5 and 6. Furthermore, she was repeatedly killed and used as a plot line for the other characters and was unfairly placed in the trope of magical negro. Okay, I didn't know that that was a trope, but I'll go I'll fly with it. Which was an an atrocious desecration of her character. Okay, first off, Vampire Diaries is based off of books. If she's matching up to that char- to the character in the book, then it's not a desecration of her character. It's her fulfilling who exactly her character is supposed to be. Her character was strong, and yet she was continuously exploited throughout the show while never really being acknowledged. If she wasn't acknowledged, then how come, even in uh, Legacies, they're talking about Bennett blood, and that it is important for them to have some of Bonnie Bennett's blood. What they're ignoring is the fact that Bonnie Bennett comes from a line of witches that are very, very powerful, and that throughout every single season, a lot of it has to do with Bonnie, and has to do with them needing her help to defeat the villain. Why is representation so important? There are several reasons for representation being important. The benefits aren't just for those who are the same race or ethnicity as a particular character or on screen. The advantages are for all who watch the show. Firstly, it's good to have characters who are similar to real people. Wholeheartedly agree. It helps the audience who are of the same race, sex, sexuality, etc., to more easily identify with a character and relate to them. Again, I can wholeheartedly agree. Yes, we watch TV shows to be entertained, but we are also wa- we also watch them in order to escape our worlds. Again, I agree. So I do not want to see a whole bunch of, basically, gay sex, lesbian sex, even sex sex, because I already know that that's what surrounds my world, and I want to go somewhere where that is not important. And I mean especially in, like for instance, Black Sails. At the end of Black Sails, you basically find out that the main character was... It basically had affection for another guy. And this is back during the time of Pirates, where homosexuality was very rarely heard of. Very rarely heard of. And then, like, honestly, I've got to give this to Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones did a very good example of putting it in. Because obviously, back then, people that had power, people that had authority, they were more willing, or they basically were willing to do stuff just because they wanted to. So it's it's good to have characters who are similar to real people, helps the audience who are the same race, sexuality, to more easily identify with the character and relate to them. We watch TV shows to be entertained, but we watch them to escape to or escape our world. And we also want to care about the characters that we are watching, which is easier to do when the entire cast doesn't just consist of white people. You know, I don't just feel connected to the people that are white. For instance, in uh, Legacies, one of my favorite characters besides Hope, is MG and Caleb, whom are both black and both are vampires, and a lot of it is because Caleb has helped MG figure out a lot of his stuff, and MG has always been attracted to Lizzie, which is one of the, uh, which is the straight headmaster's daughter. So she's straight, her sister is bi. He's been attracted to her, and this season you finally thought that MG and Lizzie were going to get together. And I was excited for that because I like MG. I was ready for him to finally get into a good, decent relationship that he wanted. Another reason is to abolish certain stereotypes. I regularly see Latina actors and actresses playing characters that feed into the stereotypes of maids of hypersexualized personas. When an example of good representation comes along, Like Melissa Fumero and Stephanie Beatriz on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it helps take away those stereotypes by showing another reality. They are, after all, human beings, and they do not belong in a predefined box. Lastly, this point mainly relates to characters of a certain race or ethnicity. Representation helps give people worldwide hope. Why you may ask because the actors playing these actors characters have worked hard black actors, latina actors, Arab actors, and many others when a young child sees them on television or in the movies, it helps them to feel like their dreams are possible too, and I wholeheartedly agree with that I wholeheartedly agree with that that it shows them that their that their dreams can come true too. My problem is. The people that are pushing LGBTQ are not only just showing, like, by being black, by being Mexican, by being Latino, by being this or that, are not only just showing that those races, their dreams can come true, but they're also showing, hey, you know, being homosexual is okay. Being transgender is fine. And you know, I come from a very strong Christian background. Homosexuality is a sin. God made everything perfectly, so he made everyone the gender that they need to be. So, my kids being told that your dreams can come true, but also, it's okay for you to be gay or for you to change your gender, I'm not okay with that. I'm okay with them seeing that their dreams can come true, because that's true. That's what America is about. It's the... Land of dreams. You can come here and you can make a better life for yourself. But when my kids are also being told that something that God calls a sin is a sin, and that God made a mistake, I'm not down with that. And you know, people that want to be gay, you know, you do you. As long as you let me do me. Okay, if you're gay and it's it's like, Batwoman. I love the first season of Batwoman. Did it bug me that they were pushing uh, her being lesbian? Yes. Because all of the other Batwomans... uh, For instance, like, one of them... The girl that was... Or the Batwoman in that comic... Or in that series of comics... Was in love with Batman. And I know there's differences. I know there's different comics and whatnot. But so, yeah. I loved Batwoman. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I still enjoy it. Because it's basically good versus evil. But the political narrative that was being put into both is what bothered me. Just like with Legacies, just like with Roswell, New Mexico, just like with all, a lot of the other stuff that I have to watch, I do not like the political narrative being put into it. I have always believed in diversity on the silver screen. Totally agree. However, a second as a second-generation Libyan, hijab... Hijabi, living in the UK, I have struggled to find characters that I can relate to. This was a problem that I never thought would be resolved. I was wrong. I began to watch the Norwegian show Scam. In this show, there is a character called Sana Bakush, played by Iman Meskini. Each season of Scam follows a different main character, and the fourth one followed Sansa. In this season, they tackled the struggles of an Arab girl living in a Western country incredibly well they showed such a positive and beautiful view of Islam, which is something that rarely gets explored given the prejudice, and this show, Islam was shown not to be about hate and anger, but about equality and peace. If it's all about equality and peace, and not hate and anger, how come even in the Quran itself, it talks about killing the infidel? It basically talks about uh, if they're not going to convert, kill them? How come it demeans Women? How come it says that basically women, and I'm not saying this as an exact quotation, but how come women are considered less in Muslim and in Islam countries? And how come they have to wear the hijab? So it's just basically pushing what the Muslims want us to believe. And it's pushing what Democrats want us to believe. In conclusion, representation matters. It really does. Again, I wholeheartedly agree. It has the ability to change people's perceptions, and that is important for peaceful coexistence. It can help change people's perceptions, but are you saying that we really cannot peacefully coexist with me believing that being a Muslim is not only peace and equality, but also anger and hate? Just like everyone wants to look at Christianity, oh, well, it's anger and hate. Can we not peacefully coexist, even though I get upset that me being white and me being a male means that I am soon going to be considered a second-class a second citizen? So if you ever see someone complaining about those sensitive people, be sure to correct them. It may seem a bit melodramatic, but it's an important fight win. The world isn't just dominated by white heterosexual people, and the shows we watch on a daily basis should reflect this truth. They do already reflect it. If they have a gay couple in them, then it's being reflected. If they have black people in them, it's being reflected. If they have a Muslim in them, it's being reflected. So why is it so important, why is it so important that you have to have X amount of people. Why is it so important that you have to have more blacks than whites? More gay, more LGBTQ than straight? Especially if it basically shows uh, our, our culture. Are you trying to make it look like that our culture is basically LGBTQ and that that's basically what it is, and that being straight is just second class? But so let's get on to my next subject. So this has to do with the change of Batwoman from Ruby Rose to Javicia Leslie. And again, you know, I'm bothered by the fact that they decided to go to a black girl from a white girl. Because to me, it's like if, I mean, if you're going to change something, why are you going to change it that big? I mean, the fact that they both were lesbians, no problem. Why are you going to go from a white lead character to a black lead character? If not for the fact that you were trying to appease and push certain ideological leanings. Every complaint about Javicia Leslie as the first black Batwoman is ridiculous. And then it starts off with, If you're mad because Batwoman was never black, there's something you need to know. The CW's Batwoman has always had a progressive streak. In the first season, Orange is the New Black alum Ruby Rose plays Kate Kane, Bruce Wayne's cousin who dons the Batwoman cowl to protect Gotham City, just like every other superhero show. Kate's romantic life factors into the plot. Unlike the rest, however, Kate is an out lesbian, making her first leading lesbian superhero in television history. So, basically, they talk about, you know, Ruby Rose is leaving, she gave her reasons. This meant that in order for Batwoman to continue, the CW would need a new star. Enter to Leslie, former co-star of CBS comedy drama God Unfriended Me. Prior to Leslie's casting, fans of the show wondered how Batwoman might handle the transition of actresses. Would Kate Kane just look completely different in season two with no canonical explanation? No, as it turns out, Javicia Leslie's Batwoman will be an entirely new character, Ryan Wilder. And you know, I'm fine with that. They didn't they decided to write out Kane Kane Kate Kane, they need another Batwoman, but the problem I have with it is why did they choose to make her black? I mean, if they had found someone else that was just as good as Ruby Rose that was white, would they have chosen her? Or would they have chosen Javicia Leslie. And why would they have chosen Javicia Leslie? I am extremely proud to be the first black actress to play the iconic role of Batwoman on television. Good for you. Great for you. I mean, seriously, great. It's it's wonderful that you get to be the first black woman. You get to be the first black Batwoman. I have no problem with that at all whatsoever. Good for you. So yes, I am happy. I am glad that she gets to be the first black lady to black woman to play Batwoman. Batwoman is an iconic role. Batman is an iconic role. Playing any superhero is an iconic role because of how big they have become since Marvel started the MCU. And as a bisexual woman, I am honored to join this groundbreaking show, which has been such a trailblazer for the LGBTQ community. Again, you know, great for you. Okay, you're bisexual, you're part of that community. They were already pushing that community, so they chose you, a, a bisexual woman. Okay, great, wonderful. It's another thing for you to basically put onto your resume. Hey, I played the first black, uh, the first black Batwoman. That's going to help her career. I'm glad, glad for her and for her being able to build up her career. Again, my po- my problem with it is, why did they feel the need to go from a white woman to a black woman? Well, plenty of fans are incredibly excited about the announcement. There's another demographic that both unfortunately and unsurprisingly always seem to come out of the woodwork When a black person is cast in a major role. Racist. Okay, no. Just because we are against a black person being cast in a leading role that was held by a white person does not make us racist. Okay, it's the fact that there was a white person, and now it's a black person. And we don't entirely understand why they made the change. Like the other other article said. This is for our entertainment. This is how we get away from our world. So when a major change like that is made, not only does it shake our entertainment world, but it shakes our world. We want to know why it happened. We want to know what caused it. Now, yes, Ruby Rose left. Yes, they chose Javicia Leslie. I understand that. But why did they feel like they had to choose a black girl? If they're like, well, you know, she just seemed to be the the person that best fit the role. Okay, great. No more problems. No more problems. If she was the best person person for the role, great. You know, I've been watching the show. I love the show. I'll keep watching the show. I'll keep watching the show because I now know why you made this decision. I'm not a racist. And again, let me focus in on this. The fact that they say when a black person is cast in a major role. It is not because she was cast in a major role. It is because of the fact of who preceded her in that role. Everything now is all about color. So anytime a white person is replaced for a black person, there is always some reason behind it, and we want to know that reason. And now, more recently, because being a black woman is more politically acceptable, that is the reason they mainly do it. That does not make me a racist. Like I said, if I was a racist, I would not watch the show. I watch the show. I've been watching the show. So, no, I'm not a racist. But even though it's easier to chalk their complaints up to unabashed racism, mainly because their complaints are so deeply racist, NO, THEY'RE NOT! RACIST! Wanting to know why they decided to choose a black woman... It's perfectly acceptable for us to want to know. That does not make us racist just because we want to know why they went from a white woman to a black woman. That does not make us racist. What makes us, what racism is, is when you judge a person by the color of their skin. So racism would be saying, oh, we got rid of Ruby Rose because she was white. And we wanted to have a black bat Woman." That would be racism. There's a good chance that a lot of these complainers don't actually understand how racist they are. I'm not racist. The fact that you're sitting here and calling me racist shows that you are actually the racist person. After all, when you dig into the concept of their gripes, practically everything they say is based on logical fallacies and gaps in understanding. Why don't you prove that? Why don't you prove that... Uh... That basically all of my content, the content of my gripes, is based on logical fallacies and gaps in understanding. Why don't you prove that instead of just saying it? There are two core arguments that almost always white guys, angry about black people on their screen, like to offer. And why do you say white guys? How do you know that there were not some black people or some colored people that had liked the show and they did not like the change in the major role person. You are automatically showing you're racist because you automatically said there are two core arguments that white guys angry about black people. You are automatically assuming that it's white guys that are angry. When you don't know who it is that's angry. You're automatically assuming that, and that shows that you're racist because you're saying, oh, well, it's white guys that are upset because it's a black girl. You know, I'm white. I have no problem at all with her being a black woman, so long as she was not chosen because it is more politically correct, and because it pushes the critical race theory of today. The character is not black in the source material, or as the guy in the above tweet put it, put, put it black woman was never, Batwoman was never black. Two, why is it okay for black people to play white characters, but not for white people to play character, black characters? You know? I don't have a problem with the first one. I don't. I really actually, you know, I might have a little bit because I'm I'm basically what would be considered a pur- a purist. For instance, Harry Potter. I did not like most of the movies 3 through 8 because they did not strictly follow the book. They didn't they cut out stuff in the book that was important to the book. They left stuff in that they didn't need to leave in. They changed stuff around about it. So, I i mean, yes, it upsets me that they've never been black. But as long as you're like, you know, look, she was the best person for the job. She basically fit uh, what, we, what we felt needed, this character needed. So we chose her. I'm not angry because she was white and now she's black. I'm not upset that because she was ever not that... Uh, Because she was always white, she had to be white. And then, why is it okay for black people to play white characters, but not for white people to play black characters? You know, that's a very good question. Why is it okay that black characters can play white characters, but it's not okay for a white character to play a black character? How is that not racist? The answer is multifaceted, so let's start with the obvious. Source material and their adaptations are by design canonically separate. Okay, I mean, that's very good. A very good argument. You know, they're canonically separate. They're not always the exact same thing. Okay, the events in CW's Arrowverse in which Batwoman takes place hold no bearing on the events in the DC comics. Okay, thanks for answering. In fact, the Arrowverse is only loosely based on actual events from the comics, and as such, there is no prior canon... That the show even claims to be following. Okay, I mean, uh, good, great. Um, An answer that makes very great sense. I haven't watched Arrow. I'm not old enough to have read the comics. Okay, so you know, hey, you know, it takes place in the Arrowverse. The Arrowverse basically has no actual canon for it. You know, thanks, great, cool. She's black now. Okay, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Moreover, even in official comic series, superhero mantles are nebulous. Kate Kane is the first and best-known identity of Batwoman. But plenty of other characters have undertaken the role of Batwoman across various storylines. Brenda Wayne in Batman, Dark Knight, Dynasty. Bat Kane in Titans, Tomorrow. Even Selina Kyle in Superman, Batman. There is no singular Batwoman. And then she has this in bold. If you have a problem with Ryan Wilder... A brand new character being black, but not with all the other spinoffs where Batwoman is any white woman other than Kate Kane, then congratulations. That's your racial bias on full display. No, that isn't my racial bias on full display. As I said, I have not read the comics. I was not old enough to read the comics. But the difference there is that if it's a completely different verse, if it's a completely different comic... It normally has a different name, and those are, all have different names. So that basically means that it's not just Batwoman. Batwoman, for the Bat- all of the Batwoman, Batwoman comics, was one particular person. Whereas in Batman Dark Knight Dynasty, it could be a different person because that is a completely different set of comics. So no, that is not showing my racial bias on full display. It just shows that you do not completely understand comics. The best way to understand this is like what's going on in Marvel. In Marvel, well not even Marvel, for like Spider-Man. The very first Spider-Man with uh Toby Maguire was just Spider-Man. The Amazing Spider-Man was a completely different comic series. It was The Amazing Spider-Man, not just Superman or not Spider-Man. Spider-Man Toby Maguire and then it was The Amazing Spider-Man, therefore a different uh A different Spider-Man altogether, and then it's just like with what they're doing now. Now that Marvel has uh, basically is using Spider-Man, he's still Peter Parker, but they've basically brought him up at a different time of age. So you can have different people because there are tons of different comics. Like there's the Avengers that had uh, Spider-Man in it that could be different from the actual Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man. And then the amazing Spider-Man is different than the than Spider-Man. So next time one of these people posts, why don't they just make a new black character instead of changing one that already exists? You can feel free to reference Batwoman's Wilder and point out that they still whined about it. Okay, you know, yeah, we're whining about it because we didn't know why they did it. We didn't know why they wanted to go to a black woman. And if you think of it, a lot of nerds ...that watch stuff like that, they are very keen on the changes that are made. They're very keen on why they wanted to change it. They're very keen on their people being the way that they were in the comic. Because it's being taken from the comic. But for argument's sake, let's say that in the Arrowverse... ...they really did choose to depict Kate Kane as a black woman... ...instead of making the black Batwoman an entirely new character... So what? Again, it is a loose adaptation, and even straight adaptations are allowed to take liberties. Okay, if they decided to keep her named Kate Kane, the problem with that is that the first season, she was white. So how did she all of a sudden become black? Okay, that's the problem. It's just like, if you look at your favorite show, and it's one person and they change it to another person, you still get upset because you liked this person depicting that character. So yes, it's a loose adaptation, and they're allowed to take liberties, but still. Most of the times, changing a major character like that and still calling them Kate Kane, or still calling them by that character's name, normally ends up ruining a series, ruining a movie. Or ruining a movie series, so, they recast. they do not just recast, they basically make up another character to take their place. Tyrion lost his entire effing nose in the Game of Thrones books. They, The show made him significantly less hideous. Who cares? If you don't like it, become a di- ter- director and make your own superhero movie. Okay, so how about you take that route? And if you don't like that they don't like having a black Batwoman, you become a director, and you go make your own Batwoman where she's black. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, is it not? But for the sake of... Oh, wait, I already read that. Now on to the second part. Oftentimes, these complainers wonder why everyone else seems so fine with black people portraying canonically white characters, but not the other way around. One of their most common examples nowadays is Black Panther. Imagine if they made Black Panther a white person, they suggest. Well, one, if he would have been made a white person, everyone would have come out of the woodworks and called about blackface, and called about how... and basically called about how he's supposed to be black, he was black in the comics, and he's white in the movie. So basically what we do about when a black person is cast in place of a white person, they would do the same thing about Black Panther being white. What they don't seem to realize is that the Black Panther is literally the worst example they could use. Black Panther is a character whose entire background in history is part and parcel with his black identity. He is the first superhero of African descent and the prince king of a sub-Saharan African country called Wakanda that is heavily based on black African culture. Okay, great. They still could have casted him as white if they wanted to. I mean Wakanda is a made up land. So even though it's in Africa, if they had wanted to make it a basically that it's Wakanda and that it's down there and that it's white, they could have done that. You see you see what I'm getting with there? That woman is basically made up out of a comment comment comic Black Panther is made out of a comic they can change anything in Batwoman because it's an adaptation Black Panther is a made out of, made of a comic and could be adapted however they wanted to <laughs> Black Panther's blackness is a significant part of his story You know, I I completely agree with that. It would have been weird if they made him white and they made him a white culture that's in Africa. The same cannot be said for the vast majority of white characters in comic books. After all, in Western countries, whiteness has historically been the default. Wrong! Whereas most black people in the West share common experiences of racism and discrimination, white people don't actually have any shared cultural experiences as a whole. We do in America. There's Irish culture and Nordic culture and Russian culture, but there's no such thing as white culture. Yes, there is. And actually, more recently, they have made, their, made a such thing as white culture. That's when you actually show up on time to work. You actually come ready to work. You actually, you know, wear your pants up where they're supposed to be. They've made that white culture. Thus, whiteness is not an integral part of the vast majority of white characters' actual stories. Rather, white characters' experiences tend more to reflect the default imaginary experiences of a nerdy kid in the big city. A rich crime-fighting vigilante, or a woman from an island, or warrior woman. Okay, so, Wonder Woman is from... I don't remember the name of it right now. Themistira, which is a made-up country, which is all women. Black Panther is from Wakanda, which is a made-up country. I don't see the difference there. I don't see your, uh, your argument doesn't seem valid there. Those imaginary experiences can presumably apply to someone of any color skin because those characters' skin color is effectively irrelevant. Again, Black Panther... Imaginary land called Wakanda, imaginary skin color is effectively irrelevant. Why is it effectively irrelevant with anyone that is, like, white, but it has to be this way for the black people? Of course, if you want to write a story about a white guy who lives in the sub-Saharan African country of Wakanda and dons the mantle of Black Panther in order to lead a group of people based on black African culture, you're welcome to do that. That said, you'll have some very challenging story roadblocks ahead of you if you want that character to be believable, as you actually need to dive into his white identity in relation to the plot if you want to make the story work. Imaginary land, based on African culture, there are white people that live in South Africa. So you could do it. Literally, if you wanted to change where it was, you could have done that. I mean, you could put it in Iceland, in Greenland, in Australia, any of the places like that, and it would have worked fine, and you could have changed it to white, because it's imaginary. But the much broader answer to the overall question of why is it okay for black people to play black white characters, but not for white people to play black characters is that the vast majority of the big budget movies and TV shows that get made are based on long existing franchises' properties starring default white characters, and that leaves far fewer roles for anyone who isn't white. Focus in on that right there. The vast majority of big big budget movies and TV shows that get made are based on long existing franchise properties starring default white characters, and that leaves far fewer roles for anyone who isn't white, so, big budget movies do white. So, white face is okay because the black person playing a white person is perfectly fine because it makes them equal with the white guy. So, basically, it gives them the same amount of power as the white guy. Critical race theory. Under critical race theory, racism is not... Uh, basically, uh, disliking someone for the color of their skin but under critical race theory it is the fact that their skin color is what gives them power that's why so many white voice actors have recently been stepping down from their non-white roles of their own volition they're voice actors they're using their voice only It is not that big of a deal. It's not because they're being forced. It's because they realize that they have access to a lot more roles than non-white voice actors currently do. And they want to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. If we want the characters we see on screen to be representative of the the diverse group of people who make up American culture, that means that sometimes we'll need to give the roles of once-default white characters to actors of color instead. And you know, I'm okay with that. I am 100% okay with that if the reason they're hiring the black person is because they are as the best fit that they could find for that role pertaining to the best fit to replace the person that left or that died. I mean, how would it, would it have been okay if after Richard Harris died, They chose Morgan Freeman or uh, Earl Jones to be Dumbledore. No, why would it have not have been? Although they are older men and they can give off that era, uh, give off that air of a older, wise man. It's the fact that Dumbledore was white. Dumbledore had been white. It's the fact that Dumbledore was played and was written as a white man, and they are trying to adapt a book that said he was white. Changing him to a black man would have been off and would have completely destroyed the rest of the movies because Dumbledore is so inherently, well, not inherently, is so important to those books. It's the part of that you're trying to appease people that like something. So if you cast the wrong person, they're not gonna they're not gonna like it. Just like with if you watch Sleepy Hollow, Sleepy Hollow originally had a white man working with a black woman that was an officer. She decided to leave, and so they got a they had the same white man playing Ichabod Crane, and then they got a She was not white, but she was basically colored. She just wasn't black. And it did not make it past that fourth season because the chemistry that they had together was not as strong as what Nicole Berry and the guy that played Ichabod Ichabod Crane had. Back to Batwoman. Remember that guy who said Batwoman was never black? He's right. There never was a black woman before. Thankfully, now there is. Great. So, yeah, I mean, Javicia, well, I just blanked on her name. The the black lady that is playing Batwoman, they chose her. Great. I mean, the way she's portrayed so far, the way she has portrayed or been Batwoman, she fits. She is really good at martial arts. She is lesbian. So, I mean, she fits into that. There's a whole bunch of other problems, basically woke problems, that are going into the relationship the relationship that they've built between the now, the new Batwoman, and her girlfriend. That we could get into, and it would completely blow this out of this, uh, completely take us the rest of the day talking about that. But so, like I said, we're focusing on media and... Basically, when I say media, I should be saying television. We're talking about television and the media. So, I want to go to talking about Roswell, New Mexico, now, because this, is, like I said, this is something I've watched. I almost stopped watching it. The uh, the w- one that I found is called Why CW Keeps Crashing with Remakes like Roswell and Charmed. We should really have a better reason to go back to Roswell, New Mexico. CW's latest remake is based on the 1999-2002 series that aired on WB and UPN, which in turn stems from the Roswell High books by Melinda Mertz, about aliens living secretly in the infamous Southwest town. It follows this season's charmed, A remake of the 1998-2006 WB series about three witch sisters, not to mention 90210, Dynasty, and Melrose Place. It's not surprising that shows like Roswell and Charmed are coming back in this remake-reboot-revival universe. The law of averages says that anything can be rebooted will be. Addictive genre television aimed at young women is right on brand for the network of Riverdale and A Third Vampire Diaries. And, I mean, uh, the the latest season of Riverdale, or the latest episode of Riverdale, I mean, it is pushing hard. Not only on, uh, basically, I guess you could say anti-super straight men pushing on uh, gender norms. I mean, we can get into that uh, later on. But, so... Both series falter, but nearly opposite reasons. The original sin of Charmed is the relationship between the new creators, the source material, and by extension, it's fans. For most Hollywood type tasks with recreating a beloved property uh, fealty to fans is paramount. So they can focus here that on Charmed, making the fans happy is paramount. But, when it comes to Batwoman, when it comes to Representing properly uh, blacks and LGBTQ. It's not as paramount. You have to represent period. And again, I've asked this. I don't know if I've actually answered it. Why is representation so important? I want you to start just thinking over that. And then they go on talking about how uh, J.J. Abrams bent over backwards. uh, Trying to please the legions of Star Wars fans while directing and promoting 2015's The Force Awakens, uh, Damon Lindof, uh, uh has already started apologizing for his HBO Watchmen adaptation. So basically just hammering in further that point that appeasing the fans is everything. But while promoting Charmed last summer, the cast and creators awkwardly sidestepped questions about the original and the disapproval of original star Holly Marie Marie Combs. No effort was made to stay faithful to the rules of magic established by the original series. And while the new writers had good reasons to change some of the mythology, the rest is just different for the sake of being different. While watching, I was too immensely bothered... Sorry about that. While watching, I was too immensely bothered by similarities with the original version to pretend I was watching something totally new. So, this person that wrote this, basically, when they talk about a reboot, she doesn't want that series rebooted. She wants something new. See, when I want to watch, if they're rebooting something, I want it to be like the new, the old one. I just want certain things changed. I want to still see... Like, the characters being the same characters, just played by different people. I was consciously aware of every departure from the original, from the way the sisters deployed their powers to the special effects behind teleportation. It made, even trying to focus on the lackluster story, a challenge many fans were outraged about. The bastardization of the source material from the moment the first trailer was released. The New Mexico writers, however, were smarter about fan relations. Original cast member, uh, Shiri Appleby, Unreal, is on board with the remake and is even set to direct an episode. At a New York Comic Con panel in October, the actors said all the right things about the original, offering a legitimate reason for a remake, a push for diversity, and the hot-button debate over immigration. So the whole reason they remade Roswell, New Mexico... ...was so they could push diversity, so they could push representation, and the hot-button debate over immigration. Like I had said, I almost stopped watching it because they basically made jabs at the border wall at least five times within the first three episodes. And in the very first episode, when Liz comes up to uh, the stop place, she starts going off and ranting and ranting about police and how they're so bad. Pushing hot-button items. While the creators know how to speak fans' language in in practice, New Mexico is little more than a deformed clone of Roswell. It's nearly identical, just not as good. The characters have the same names and locations, and relationships are near-carbon copies. There are only two impactful changes. The characters are older, now 20-somethings rather than high schoolers, and Liz, Janine Mason, is now a Latina... Latina Daughter of Illegal Immigrants. So. One of the main impacts. Is that so they could push that border wall. They made the main character Liz. A Latina Daughter. Of an illegal immigrant. So they could push that hot topic. But they're wanting representation. Let me ask you about representation. If. White people playing black people is bad. And black people playing being uh, replacing white people is okay. What about having a Hispanic character being portrayed by a white person? Because Janine Mason sounds like a white name. She looks like she's white. And then even her sister, what, Rosa or Rose, is played by... Uh, I can't remember her, th- her first name, but Thunderbird is her last name. And she played the female Carrie in Legion. So you're, you have two people that are supposed to be Hispanic, which I think are considered colored, being played by two people that look white. That as far as I from, can tell from their last name, have no Hispanic heritage. The play on the term Illegal Alien was one of CW's big selling points, but it feels most like a woke checklist by network executives to bring intrigue and Gen Z fans to an otherwise mediocre remake. At least in the first three episodes, the writers don't push the show's political themes enough to make them resonate. The writers don't push the show's political themes enough to make them resonate. You almost made me stop watching it because you hit home. With the border wall and her disliking the police and her disliking Trump because her, hus- her dad is an illegal alien who could be deported at any time. No, you made it pretty apparent. You made it extremely apparent. Well enough that I picked up on it. And normally I do not pick up on stuff well like that. There's no roadmap to making something old new again, although anxious writers and creators could stream the Impeccable one day at a time. And I mean, it's obviously done well enough because basically, as far as I can tell, they're planning on the third season. I don't know if they canceled it. I haven't looked into it. But still, it made a second season. It made it to a second season. So there's that. That's what I wanted to hit on. They did it for representation. Representation. But this person, even though they did it for representation, instead of praising the show for oh representing uh, Hispanics, representing uh, uh, the border wall and the challenges that it causes, uh, instead of praising them for uh, pushing boundaries, they just attack them for being boring. So then look at look at this. This has to do with Teen Wolf, and Teen Wolf. I saw I couldn't find the. Article that I read, but back when I had thought that it was over, uh, I was reading something about the creator, and he basically said that he created Teen Wolf in a world where everything was inclusive, everything was possible. So basically, he'd said he wanted it to be like a homosexual haven, you name it, you've got it. So look at this not just Posey, meaning Tyler Posey, who played the main character in Teen Wolf. The whole cast thinks Teen Wolf is an LGBT gift. So this was made so that they could basically have a place where homosexuality is already a norm and is already natural, and it still gets attacked. LGBT has all inclusion has always been a sensitive spot in the Teen Wolf fandom. While the show started with great promise back in 2011, over its four years on air, it still hasn't delivered anything worth mentioning. So there's four seasons. It had six seasons in total. But it had basically, at this point, it's four seasons. And they're saying anything worth mentioning. Although, one of their first characters that they show you is homosexual. Even though one of the uh, basically main characters, you could say, turns out to be gay. Even though it's a world... That was built so that homosexuality and all the other stuff could be a norm. Are you a fan who is hoping things will change in the next season? With the answers the cast gave, I think that nothing's going to change anytime soon. We've already covered what Tyler Posey, the lead of Teen Wolf, thinks about LGBT inclusion in the show. As far as he's concerned, it's all good in Beacon Hills. One can argue he's the lead of the show and he's supposed to market it as the best show there is. He also recently mentioned how Teen Wolf has more heart than the iconic Buffy the Vampire Slayer. A cast interview over at The Advocate took me by surprise. If the whole cast thinks like that, then I'm sorry to say that there's no hope for Teen Wolf when it comes to properly portraying LGBT characters. So the whole problem here is that it's not properly portraying LGBT characters. Why do they think that? So, a famous, or, uh, not only, or basically, I can't understand how the advocate, a famous platform when it comes to LGBT news and entertainment, could paint such a very flowery picture when it comes to the non-existent homophobia in Beacon Hills. How is it non-existent when, like I just said, you, basically, a character that was there throughout the entire, at least up to four seasons, was homosexual, and they push it. And they make it apparent, and then they have another main character, that they bring back at the end of the series, who is homosexual. And they have, in season 3, they bring in another gay character, all who basically show up in different times throughout the series. Personally, I feel the writer forgot to mention that the reason homophobia doesn't exist in Beacon Hills is because there really aren't any gay people living there. Tyler Posey's answer was similar to the one he gave before. It's funny that he remembered to show, say, how popular Charlie Carver and Kiahunewani's gay characters were with the fans, but forgot to mention the actual screen time they got on the show. Oh, so they're not properly portrayed because they did not get enough screen time. Danny isn't a part of season four, so. Danny is another character, I believe, that comes in in later seasons. I can't remember correctly. I can't get angry at Tyler Hochland I just can't. He mentioned how MTV and Jeff Davies have done a great job of keeping that a central part of, other, of the show. Does any, anyone remember when a gay storyline was ever central to the show? Okay, so, it's not properly portrayed because there was never an actual gay-centric episode. The fact that they have representation of gay characters isn't good enough. Maybe he's talking about the slow-burning Steric in the story, which is a mixture of... Uh... Derek and uh, Tyler Posey's friend who's played by Dylan O'Brien. I can't remember his name. It's kind of crazy. In the story, a theory that a lot of shippers support. And that's what he meant to say in his answer. One can hope. J.R. Bourne, who played uh, Crystal Reeds or Allison Argent, who was the first girlfriend of... uh, Tyler Posey's character. Answer does make sense. When Teen Wolf aired for the first time, it gave people a non-stereotypical gay character, Danny, and the fandom went crazy. Oh, so Danny... Okay, yeah. Danny is the person who Kiahu Kahunuwani plays, and they're saying he isn't in Season 4, but he basically has screen time in Season 1, Season 2, and Season 3. And then if they don't have him, they have another character who is gay. Danny and the fandom went crazy because of Styles' possible bisexuality. But over the years, a lot of other amazing LGBT shows have begun airing, and Teen Wolf doesn't come close to them. I hope that Teen Wolf's treatment of LGBT characters is never used as a blueprint as Born Hopes. Okay, so why would you not want to, one, have a character that is gay throughout the entire, epi- throughout the entire series, and then have a character who starts out straight, and then later on he comes back and he actually finds out that he's gay? And then have other gay characters. Because, you know, there are those people out there that they were straight, and it only came after a certain amount of time that they found out that they were interested in the same sex, not the other sex. That's what I would want portrayed. That's what I would call representation. But I mean, I'm just a straight guy. I obviously don't know. And then they talk about Holland Rowland, who was another main character. Uh, it's, they say it's tough to understand where she stands because it hasn't been long since she made fun of Kira and Malia's faux lesbian dance scene in the premiere of Teen Wolf Season 4. And then they go back to talking about uh, Dylan needs to understand that the actual promoting, that actually promoting the show because it is LGBT inclusive really isn't a wise move. Whenever a gay character is going to make an appearance in Teen Wolf, the PR promotes the character's sexuality and nothing else. I mean, isn't that what they basically want, is that they want a gay character there? They want you to know that he's gay? I mean, yeah, they want them to have time, but the main thing they want is, oh, hey, there's this gay character, there's this gay character. That's representation. They want more representation. It did the same thing with Danny and then his replacement, Mason. It's 2014 and fans need gay characters that have more to offer than just their sexual orientation and being used as props. Okay, so let me get this straight. So Danny leaves, he gets replaced, because he graduated, by another guy named Mason, who is still gay. So they lose one gay character, they put another gay character in his place. Whereas that doesn't always happen with straight people. Or with white people. But so, they need their gay characters to they have more offer to offer than just their sexual orientation. I mean, uh, the guy, Mason, I believe at the end of Season 4, turns out to actually have become a villain. He's gay, and it turns out that he is the villain that didn't know that he was a villain. So technically he's gay and he's a big part of the plot of season four, but that doesn't oh, but that doesn't work because he's a villain. So it puts a gay guy in bad light. I would like to ask Shelley Hinnig how Teen Wolf sees heterosexual and homosexual romance in the same light, because in the aired eleven episodes of Teen Wolf season four, there has been no gay makeout scene. Compare all the LGBT romantic scenes since season one. To the hetero ones we see. And then you be the judge of how similarly the show treats them. I'll give you a hint. It doesn't. You know, I can agree. There was a lot more kissing between... uh, Tyler Hoechlin. Not Tyler Hoechlin. uh, Tyler Posey. And Crystal Reed. And then Tyler Tyler Posey and his other girlfriend... And then between other people that were basically girlfriend, boyfriend, or that were together. So I mean I can I can see that. But I mean still you have gay characters. So representation is not only that, but wouldn't that fall into uh just basically offering their sexual orientation? You show a makeout scene, oh well that's just their sexual orientation. They're being used as a prop, wouldn't they be? But I mean that shows. It's not just representation. They just don't want the gay community represented. They want the gay, represented, gay community represented in a way that people have to see it, and people have to digest it, and people have to accept it. They have to watch the gay makeout scene. They have to watch the gay couple acting as a normal couple, and then basically look, oh, well, you know, there's not much different between that and a normal couple hugging. So what background is Dylan Sprayberry talking about? Mason is Danny's replacement, and Dan Dylan's own character, Liam, is Jackson 2.0 gone horribly wrong. I mean Mason doesn't even have a last name. Okay, he doesn't have a last name. Not everybody has a last name. Beyonce. Uh what China? Zendaya. I mean, Mason doesn't even have a last name and no mention of a family. So how is he a representative of the LGBT community? Oh, I forgot. It's because he's gay and that's it. The only thing that matters when it comes to gay characters in Beacon Hills. (laughs) But isn't that exactly what you're doing if you were to just... Basically put a gay kiss in there. Is that. Oh he's gay. And that's the only reason he matters. And that's the only reason why we're actually. Giving him this kiss. (laughs) Ian Bohan needs to understand. That gone are the days. When some visibility for young gay people worked. Glee did a better job. Giving the world young gay characters. A lot of viewers could relate to. Currently the LGBT visibility. In Teen Wolf is close to non-existent. It's funny how the Advocate article came out a few hours before the finale of Teen Wolf Season 4. The ratings have been plummeting every week. Was the show's PR trying to attract queer viewers to tune in? What do you think of the answers the cast gave? Do you think LGBT portrayal in Teen Wolf will get better? I personally don't think so. It seems like, according to the show, everything is perfect, and that's why there's nothing for Jeff Davis and MTV to fix. Okay, and see, so that was like it said, Jeff Davis, there was an article I wrote, I read, where he basically said that he created Teen Wolf in a world that was basically all inclusive. I mean, had transgender been a thing back then, they would have had a transgender character. If I mean asexuality had been a thing back then, they would have had a character that was asexual. But that isn't good enough. Why? Because fans need gay characters that have more to offer than just their sexual orientation and being used as props. And because the writers forgot to mention that the reason homophobia doesn't exist in Beacon Hills is because there really aren't any gay people living there. Because they don't give them any background. You know, they technically do not give a lot of background to the vet that Tyler Posey's character lives uh, works with. They don't give a lot of uh, background to one of the black girls that Tyler Hoechlin ends up kind of dating and sleeping with. So they have basically they want a, a main a gay a main character that is gay, that their homosexuality is on display, that they have a gay kiss, and they want an episode that is solely focused on that gay person, gay person being gay. That would be representation to them. And why would that is that representation to them? So I want to go, I want to go to this. This is what I thought I would have heard about from, uh, about Teen Wolf. Something like this. Nickelodeon's Loud House to feature married gay couple. Nickelodeon is about to bring down the house, the Loud House, that is. The children's TV network will introduce a biracial, they're biracial... gay couple on the animated show The Loud House. The series, which centers around the life of Lincoln Loud and his ten sisters, will be the first Nickelodeon show in history to feature a married same-sex couple. So, not only are they gay, not only are they white and black in a gay relationship, they're also married. I thought I'd hear something about this, like Teen Wolf is, oh, they, they had... They had so many gay characters. They had so many characters that were homosexual. I mean, they had one where they literally almost got close to a uh, gay kiss. I don't remember if they actually did or not. The couple in question, voiced by Wayne Brandy and Michael McDonald, will make their debut on the July 20 episode, Overnight Success. Nickelodeon confirmed to Variety that the couple is Clyde McBride's parents, Harold and Howard McBride. An expert from Wednesday's upcoming episode was posted oh an excerpt from Wednesday's upcoming episode was posted to Twitter. As evident in the clip, the series makes no hoopla over the appearance of, a, of the married gay couple. Instead, it focuses on the protective nature of the McBrides after dropping off Clyde at the Loud residence for a slumber party. The decision to feature a married same-sex couple on a children's program has been met with overwhelmingly positive reactions. So I figured that they would have, you know, hey, this was all built so that there could be homosexuals. And, you know, honestly, if you want representation, that's the best representation you can get. A biracial, same-sex married couple who have a kid. It's Push, it's showing you, trying to show you, trying to dumb you down to the normalcy of a same-sex household. That, that, to me, if I wanted representation, that would be the representation that I want. Not just gay kisses and gay characters and an episode that is all about the gay characters. But again, I'm a straight male who has a family, so that's obviously just what I want. There's one more show that I want to hit on, and it's one that I've actually just picked back up. But it had made uh, waves back in the day when they decided to make Doctor Who basically Doctor Her. Doctor Who. How the Doctor became a man and why it matters that he's regenerating into a woman. This Sunday, Doctor Who will make history when the show's 11th season premieres on October 7th. It will feature Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor, the show's first female Doctor since its debut in 1963. And then it talks about how it reappeared in 2005 after ending in uh, 89, basically ending its 16-year hiatus. The move is entirely plausible with the mythology of the series. Doctor Who is the story of a mysterious alien known as the Doctor, who travels through time and space, having adventures with a rotating cast of friends. Whenever the Doctor is mortally wounded and or his actor quits, he dies and is regenerated into a new body with the same essential self, but usually a new set of personality traits. It's been established within the world of the show that the Doctor can take on any race and gender, and that he has an ambiguous amount of controvert control over the choice. <coughs> so basically they start- So basically what they start off by t- saying is basically that the doctor is becoming a female for the first time in the series entirety. Basically it's going to be Jodie Whittaker and then they ba- they start off with, you know, it's it's already been Established within the world uh, that the Doctor can take on any race and gender, and that he has an ambiguous amount of control over the choice. So basically they're saying that the Doctor, basically at this point, chose to become a woman. Now, why did the Doctor choose that? Why did they choose it at that time, when basically feminism and uh, empowering women... With feminism. Was uh, starting to ta- starting to take over. Could it have been because. Basically. Like with. Mr. World in. Uh, season 3 of American Gods. That. They're trying to stay. On top of the uh, social norms. That they're basically trying to stay on top of the. The. Uh, Basically, socioeconomics. So, over the course of 54 years and 14 actors rotating through the role, including John Hurst as an incarnation known as the War Doctor, who appeared in three episodes in 2013, and David Bradley, who recently filled in for the deceased William Hartnell as the first Doctor, he has chosen to appear only as white British men of various ages for reasons known only to himself. Fans have been proceeding for a female doctor. Give me a moment. So fans have been, con- have been crusading for a female Doctor or a Black Doctor, or really any option besides a white male Doctor since 2008. I didn't look into that. I didn't. See if that was true or not. But as Tennant was first replaced by a younger white guy, Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor, and then by an older white guy, Peter Capaldi, the 12th Doctor, many fans resigned themselves to the idea that Doctor Who was simply not interested in, in exploring the possibility of a non-white, non-male title character. So Whitaker's casting announcement was in the odd position of being at once shocking since it broke 54 years' worth of president, and also unsurprising since it was responded to 9 years' worth of fans campaigning. Give me a moment again. I'm uh, trying to get into work. I know you don't need to know that, but I'm just letting you know so that when you hear me typing and stuff, you know what's going on and I'm not ignoring you or ignoring anything else. Sorry, like I said, I'm doing this while I'm also trying to get into work. It's an Angelo to go. So I have some stuff going on there. So they're basically saying that by the time I got by the time that they moved over to Jodie Whittaker or the female doctor, there had been 9 years worth of fans campaigning. When Whittaker takes over as the doctor, some of the subtext that Doctor Who has spent the past 50 years 54 years developing will finally become legible. The Doctor began as a cipher of a character whose gender hardly mattered, but over the course of the show's long history, the Doctor has taken on even more traits of masculine action figure archetypes. And once the Doctor is a woman, those traits will be thrown into sharp relief. Initially, the Doctor wasn't a hero. Now he is. Uh, He tries to club a wounded man to death to save himself, talking about Uh, the first Doctor. Uh, Back then, Ian and his fellow teacher, companion, Barbara, were clearly the adults in the room. They were the wise and capable heroes who could sort out all the problems their grip of adventures came across. Susan, the Doctor's Spacey teenage granddaughter, was also on hand to function as the audience surrogate who would give all of the children in the audience a character they could identify with. The Doctor himself was just there to take everybody from place to place and get them into trouble. But slowly over the 54-year history of the show, the Doctor rendered his first group of companions redundant. He took on the moral authority and competence of Ian and Barbara and the childlike whimsy and glee of Susan and married those characteristics to his own ability to travel through time and space. The Doctor became capable of carrying the entire dynamic of the show's original ensemble entirely on his own as action hero and wandering child and magical trickster all at once. So basically, what they're saying uh, so far is that with them casting a female, all of those masculine traits that he had built up over the years are going to be thrown into sharp, are going to be sh- basically shown into sharp contrast. Basically, those masculine characteristics that he'd built up are now going to basically be thrown into sharp relief now that there's a female doctor. I don't know how to take that. I haven't gotten to that ser uh that area in this uh, season yet or in the series but I've talked to some friends who just haven't watched it I don't remember if they said they didn't like it or not but that's just one thing I wanted to uh, I wanted to hit on was just the simple fact that they decided at that time to make a change to a female doctor I mean n- looking at this I guess they're saying That fans had been clamoring for a female doctor. They had wanted a female doctor. Or even a black doctor. And so finally the BBC decided to give them a female doctor. So after this. Are they going to basically have a black doctor? Or are they going to basically go back to a white man? Or what are they going to do next? I'm basically just hitting at this to basically show you the changes that politics brings about in our television that we watch. I mean, you can even sit there and you can even think of, like, Hulu, uh, Netflix, all of the streaming services that we have, they all normally, like, Netflix is abhorrent for it. They always either have, like, one gay character or they have one character that is basically like a sex fiend, something like that. They always have that certain thing going on. And it's in everything that they do. Hulu, I haven't seen much about it. Um, Hulu, they did basically have... Our, like, for instance, with Hulu, with the, uh, the uh, Marvels, the Runaways, they had Nico and Carolina, who basically became a, a, a uh, same-sex couple... And then you had Gert and, uh, what was his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, the guy that used the Fistigons, they were a couple, and then they broke up. Uh, but even her, she was basically that token uh, child that is all about like the leftist ideas. But so this is all about pushing and showing exactly, uh, well, like I would said, politics in our shows politics on our shows. Like I had said, uh, Riverdale, uh, at basically in the middle of season five, this season, they decided that they were going to uh, have graduation at the end of uh, episode three. And at that point, um, Cheryl Blossom basically decided she had been in a homosexual relationship with Tony Topaz, Tony Topaz's family didn't accept her because of her family, because of what her family had done. And so Cheryl Blossom holds herself up in Thornhill, her ancestral home, and she's doing all of this stuff, which is basically supposed to be her making amends for what her family did so that she can be acceptable uh, in the eyes of uh, Tony Topaz's family. And then after that, basically, she wants to get back at Tony Topaz because the other gay—the gay couple, uh, Kevin and Fangs, they're basically—they said they're going to get married. uh, They now have said that, basically, they're not going to get married yet, and then Tony is going to have a baby, and basically, they were going to raise the child— as a non-traditional family, so having two fathers and a mother, non-traditional. And you know, I have, I have absolutely no problem with that. I mean, they're gay guys; they can't have a kid. She said she would happily have a kid with, uh, for them, be their surrogate. I mean, great. There are people out there that they can't have kids and that they need a surrogate mother, or they have to go some other means than the biological way to have a child. Fine. But later on in that season, in that episode, uh, Cheryl Blossom trying to get back at Tony, you think, or basically trying to win her affection, has what's known as a key party. And basically, what a key, what they say a key party is, is that everyone that comes over, they put their keys in a bowl, and then you pick whoever uh, whoever's keys you pick. You basically have like seven minutes of heaven with them. And so at one point, Cheryl Blossom says, since we're all like, like fluid, progressive people, uh, you can do whatever you can think of, basically shaming those who aren't basically sexually fluid and those who do not want to kiss someone of the same sex. And I mean, like I said, I will get into Riverdale or at least that episode of Riverdale later on. But it's it's a point that who is who are these shows focused on? What is their ideal age range, their audience? And one of the uh, like in the one of them that I said it was like the 18 to 40 age range. So they are trying to build this so that people that are 18 years old and even younger are watching it. What's that going to do? As they would said, representation is about changing how we perceive our society. You change how you perceive your society, you can change society. You want to have a gender-fluid, all-inclusive society, what do you do? You push more people that are sexually fluid, more people that are transgender... Uh, even uh in that episode uh Veronica Lodge and her husband they got married they're having basically you know the early marriage struggles I've been through them and she basically decides to divorce him because he's suppo- he's of course being the you know the general man that or what they think is a man is that he can't handle her making more money than him He's basically the supposed toxic masculinity character. And then she finds out she's still in love with Archie. She divorces him. She wants to stay in Riverdale with him. We'll see how it goes on in the rest of the season. But so, like I said, and like I kept on harping on, why do they keep on harping on representation? But not just having gay characters in shows, but gay characters being represented properly. Having a same-sex couple a same-sex married couple having trans people why are they so focused on that why does it have to be their right kind of representation let me put two and two together for you I'm pretty if you haven't put it yet together I haven't explained it well which I'm very bad at so representation are basically, as they had said, representation basically shows how we think or can change how we look at our society. You following me there? You want to change society? You just change how society looks and shows, and you can change how people think of society. You can change how people look at society. We used to have very few homosexual characters now we have an abundance of them why because the lgbt community wants us to think that there are more homosexuals more people in their community than we actually than there actually are now think of it like this i had talked about this once before but what's the problem with critical race theory how they define racism racism is a Power struggle. Racism is not disliking someone because of the color of their skin. Racism is a, according to the critical race theorists, is a power struggle. Thus why a black person can't be racist, but a white person can. Because the white person is racist because he has that power. The black person isn't racist because he doesn't have the power the white man does. Think of it that way. Representation. Equals a change in how we see our society and a change in power. Why does the LGBT community, a plus whatever they're up to now, want to push to be represented in their right way because they want to normalize it in society more than it already is? They want to make it to where all of the shows have basically gender fluid or bi characters or trans characters. And then every once in a while, you will have that one person that is straight, that might be the villain, or that he's the side character. He's not that important. They want representation... And this is how it plays into politics, because of the power that it gives them. Right now, the straight people have all the power because you look at every episode, every show, they have their, basically, mainly their protagonist, or they have the main people in it, or they have an abundance of straight characters. So, right now, the... LGBTIQ plus community, according to the critical race theorist's racism theory, they have no power. So they need to give them just as much power, if not more power, than the straight community, than the traditional community. That's why that one time Cheryl Blossom had said the whole, since we're all, uh, Progressive, fluid, inclusive people. That's what this all is about. It's a power struggle. How do we stop that? How do we take care of that? Well, I mean, there is no real way to take care of it unless you want to take people's liberty and people's freedom of speech away and tell them, oh, You have to have basically a tradition. You have to keep it as a traditional couple, as the main couple, because that's what it is. They're trying to change how we look at our society. Yes, that's bad. But really, there is nothing that we can do. We can stop watching the shows. We can. ...write them or we can get on their Facebook and say... ...I do not appreciate you forcing me to accept homosexuality... ...to accept the LGBTIQ plus and what you want to push it as. But other than that, there's not much we can do. We can stop watching the shows. We can write in and tell them we're going to stop watching the shows. But as long as they're hitting their ratings... ...they're not going to change it. I mean, even like I said, with Batwoman... The first season had dismal ratings. They renewed it. The second season has had even more dismal ratings, and yet they still renewed it. Why? Because representation is power. They see themselves as the saviors, as the saviors of the LB, LGBTIQ community, and of the black community, because they are giving them their power. They are representing them, and by representing them, they are giving them power and taking power away from the traditional community. And by doing so, they are altering how our children think, they are altering how our children see things. And they are altering our future. Now, do I have a problem with the LGBTQ community? No, I don't. I mean, you be you. You, if you want to be gay, you be gay. If you want to be lesbian, you be lesbian. If you want to be bi, you be bi. If you want to be transgender, Be transgender. I'm fine with it. I don't have a problem. It's your choice. You do you how you want to do you. I have a problem when you start forcing how you think and how you see things onto me. And telling me I have to accept it or else I'm a bigot. Or else I'm racist. Or else I'm prejudiced. Sorry. That's when I draw the line. If you're allowed to be you, I'm allowed to be me. And I'm gonna allow to be me. And if you call me racist or prejudiced or xenophobic, I'm gonna tell you, you know, if that means loving my country and loving me for who I am, then yes, I'm racist. Yes, I'm xenophobic. Yes, I'm prejudiced. I am not going to take offense to it. And, as Dan Bongino has said before... That's all I've got to say about that. Hey guys. Thank you so much for listening. I just wanted to leave this to let you know that here in the next couple of days I'm going to be trying to start up another podcast. As you know, I've told you that I'm I'm an, a Christian. Part of the reason that I call it the American Idiot Podcast. Uh, we'll get into that Maybe on that podcast at some point. As of right now, I know it is going to be called the Learn of Me podcast. Might decide to change the name. I don't know. But I just wanted to leave that there let you guys know that I'm working on that. Wanted to apologize about it being so long since I got out the last episode. Uh, I started working on this on, I believe it was Tuesday. And San Angelo to go has been so busy with orders just because of people getting tax return and getting stimulus and just our normal that uh it's been non stop like I haven't had a chance to uh get any to get anything out, so I just finally got it done today uh remember that uh, I have the email the American Idiot p at yahoo.com, and I hadn't really ever said this before, but this is going to be kind of like a season, as in this is going to be a podcast that I have a season of episodes, like right now this is supposed to be episode 7 of season 1, so that being said, I will most likely, in between each season take like a little two, maybe a week or two or three week break, depending on how long I need to, uh, get other stuff lined out, I uh, just wanted to put that out there, just wanted to say that I'm planning on the Learn of Me podcast, I'm gonna try to get that out I'm, uh, with that, I've just gotta either start up another Anchor account for it, or figure out if I can have a, uh... if I can have like two separate or several separate uh, podcasts on there. Uh, as soon as I figure that out, I will let y'all know when I'm about to have it up. I'm going to be doing some deep search, deep research into that and a deep dive on it. So if I don't get out that many episodes this next week, uh, just think of it that I've gotten out as many as I could last week and this week kind of making up for having been gone for so long. And then for uh, that, because I'm trying to get that started up, uh, and then just remember. And I'm gonna probably try to make that make it the uh, season finale for this season. I'm still supposed to have Ray Harris Jr. from the American or uh, History of World War II podcast on here. I have not talked to him in a while, so uh, like I, I mean, obviously my guy, my life got busy. His has probably been busy, Uh, so just, yeah, bear with me. I will try to get in contact with him as soon as possible and actually get a date pinned and a time set so that we can uh, link up and get that episode out. But, yeah, just once again, thank y'all for listening.
1: Y'all have
0: a wonderful rest of your day. And once again, thank you for listening to the American Idiot Podcast.